Today we're in Matthew chapter 7, so if you've got your Bible, uh, we'll be there. But it's interesting how Jesus organizes the Sermon on the Mount. You see, Jesus is about relationships. Jesus is uh, beautiful in his relationship uh, with the Father, with God, and with us. And he organizes this teaching, uh, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, is probably Jesus sitting down. Jesus would teach a lot of times sitting down. And uh, the the group of people that would be down a little bit lower on the elevation of the mountain, Sermon on the Mount, um, they would be listening. And Jesus could go through this teaching probably in about 15 minutes because he's just a master communicator and a master teacher. And I don't possess that great of a gift. So we've been here for a couple months. So there you go. (laughs) But uh, he organizes this in our relationship with the world. He organizes it with our relationship with the law. Then he gets into our relationship with God. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about our relationship with money. And then today, he kind of makes a turn in chapter 7. And he starts teaching about our relationship with other people. Now, we are all designed to live in relationships and to be in relationships with other people. That's how we're created. Even the most introverted person among us has a deep need and desire to be connected with other people in relationships. I mean, you think about Tom Hanks on the movie Castaway. Sometimes in my life, I would love to experience that. But after about four hours, I would go nuts. I mean, honestly, about as long as the movie takes for me to watch, I would be insane. I would be I would be talking to more than just Wilson. I'd be making things up. You know, I'd have a imaginary friends. And and I would if you found me, I would I would have all this interaction going on inside of my head. Probably years of counseling couldn't fix me. But I love to be around people and I feed off of other people's energy. And I you know, Heather's a little more introverted than I am and she can spend some one on one time and, and be alone and just wrap herself in a book. That drives me crazy. I can do that for a little while, and then i got to be around people. And God designed us this way. We're designed to be in a relationship with God, our Creator, and we're designed to be in a relationship with the people He places around us. I think every one of us has this, a deep desire to have healthy, fulfilling, great relationships in the people around us. I'm not alone in that, and I don't think you would be either if you were to say, I want deep rich relationships. But this morning I want to talk about narrow relationships. And and please don't get this this wrong. When I say narrow relationships, I don't mean looking at the people in your life and narrowing it down and saying, well this person I don't like, so I'm not going to have a relationship with them. And, you know, I'm talking about how we focus our relationships. And we're going to get into how Jesus teaches us to focus these relationships. I'm also not talking about shallow relationships because there are a lot of us, and I have friends that that you know how far it goes. I mean, you know that there's not a deep relationship with this person that when when you get together, it's going to be a lot of surface talk. It's going to be a lot of, hey, how are you? Oh, we're great. Good to see you. Oh, man, it's, I mean, just life is good, you know? And you walk away, you go, we didn't communicate about anything. And I don't know what's going on in their world. They have no idea what's going on in my world, and yet we call them friends. I mean, Facebook has probably cheapened the word friend in society today. There are, I'm sad to say this. There are people that I have no idea who they are on my Facebook page. 
But I read in a marketing book that it's good to have a Facebook page as you start a church because they, you can get your message out. You see what I'm saying? I, I, I told you, if Jesus were starting a church, he'd probably have a Facebook page, maybe, I'm sure. And, and he would have a race with Lady Gaga to see who could give him how many friends. But we, I want us to think of, of a narrow perspective of what Jesus says friends are in our relationships. Not narrow-minded. Okay, we have to have relationships with other people. And a lot of times, and this frustrates me, we get into church and we surround ourselves with people who are just Christ followers or, or just people, I, I won't even say Christ followers. We surround ourselves with people in the church and we tend to isolate ourselves from everything else. And we start to create these two societies within our own life. We've got our church life and that's where we want to stay all the time. And then we go to work and we don't know how to interact and connect with people in, in our offices, um, some of our families may not go to church and we may not even know how to interact with our own families. And Jesus doesn't set those lines. Jesus was a master at breaking those lines down. And that's what I want to spend some time going through today. So if you've got your Bible, go to uh, chapter 7. And we're going we're gonna to start at the end and work backwards. Um, so I want you to go to chapter uh, 7, verse 13 and 14. Because Jesus is teaching through this, and and notice this, whenever there's a therefore in Scripture, you need to look in the previous verses to understand what Jesus is tying up here. And and a lot of times we get uh, the Bible and Scripture way out of context. And I want to make sure that as a church, we not only know Scripture and we live Scripture, but we understand the context of what Jesus is saying. Because there's a lot of times that we will we'll quote what Jesus says or we'll take scripture and try to apply it in our life. And I think God is looking going, man, you've got it way out of context. You have completely missed the point on what I was trying to say. And I, I don't want us to be a people that do that. Because honestly, there's a huge disconnect out there between what people think of Jesus and what people think of the church. And I want us to be a clear representation and reflection of Jesus so we can start to do at least our little part of changing a social stigma about the church and about Christians and about how we relate and interact and work with other people. So let's start in verse 13. And Jesus is teaching this and he says, um, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. When Jesus talks about this interaction and human relationship, he starts broad and he goes narrow. I mean, we we all can find it easy to just go down the, the, the big lane of life and just fall into the lines of what the world says you should think and how the world says you should act. And when we live in the world, but we're not of it. And Jesus says that that road is going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead you somewhere that you are not going to want to be. He says, but narrow, there's a a narrow path and few find it, but it enters and leads to life. And our relationships should lead to life. The people around us that we, we, we pour ourselves into and even they pour into us, there should be a transaction of life happening. There are people that I hang around with that do drain the life out of me. And I'm sure you have those people too. 
But I pray hard before I meet with those people or I answer that phone call. And I say, God, help me. That This is going to suck the life out of me, but help me give it freely so I can be on this narrow road that leads to life because I could, I could just really go broad on them and just cause all kinds of destruction. Like, you know, why do you even call me? I don't even want to hang out with you. I mean, do you, some, some people lack such a self-awareness that you want to help them with that sometimes, you know? And you're like, let me tell you how you really are. But you're like, no, nah, I can't do that. You know, I'm, I'm going to love you through this. God, help me. Give me the life to give this person life. There are some people that we can only love because God gives us the ability to love. You know, and there's some people that we can only like because God gives us the ability to like. And that's what he's talking about. So, so here what Jesus is saying is you need to think of your relationships not just in a broad sense of, hey, everybody's great, and, and I just want to be, a, I, I want to love everybody. Start focusing this down to say, what relationships can I invest life in? What relationships can life be invested into me? And there's, there's a reciprocation that starts to go on. Now, Jesus is he's finishing up by saying, here's how to have healthy relationships. Because don't destroy people, love people, pour life into people. So let's go back and, and see what Jesus is teaching us through because I think we could I think we struggle with a lot of this. So go back to verse one. I'm gonna read verse one and two. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This, this verse has been, been kind of distorted over, over time in the church. It, this is not an admonition that you cannot call motives into question. And you can't say, there's nothing spiritual happening among us, so we've got to judge ourselves. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about their, their worship and the order of their worship. And he really starts beating them up about the Lord's Supper. And he says this, he says, God judges you so he can discipline you. When, when we look at ourselves, there should be some discipline. There should be something that is changing within us. Paul even goes so far to say in chapter 11 and verse 31 of 1 Corinthians, he says, if we would just judge ourselves, I mean, I, I need to look at myself through a lens of Scripture. I need to say, do I live the way Jesus is showing me to live? And I have to look at people around us. And I'm not, I'm not being judgmental. See, this gets into this issue of judgmentalism. That's one of those isms that I hate. This is one issue that, that people, society, tend to look at Jesus as someone who's loving and a good teacher and a good man. And some will say, Savior, God's Son. And then when they ask, so what about Christians? And they say, I don't want to answer that question. It's because we've done a great job of becoming judgmental. And what Jesus is warning us here is not to approach people with a critical spirit. There is a difference. You can, you know, as some people say, it's like you can be a fruit inspector of spiritual fruit. That's, that's nice and fluffy, but let's get to the root of it. Is God doing something in your life? Is there a transformation at the core that is evident? Because if we have been transformed by Christ, then that fruit is going to be evident in our life. There's a change that is a result of the transformation. And we get into this, this judgmentalism. Why do we judge? I think it's because it makes us feel better about ourselves. 
And when you think in the scope of broad and narrow in our relationships, this is an easy place to be because I can sit back on the sidelines and watch humanity and not interact with people, but I can judge them. And I can watch their life and go, oh, that was stupid, but that sure makes me feel better. I think judging is easy. And and honestly, this gets into the religion. Because if we just gather as a group of people and put the Bible in front of us and just sit around to try to feel better about ourselves and feel better than the people out there and go, well, I know I'm a sinner saved by grace, but I'm not as bad as that person. Well, then we've just started taking that drug called religion. And we've just slowly started to sedate ourselves to a point where the enemy says, I have this church exactly where I want them. And God's saying, I left a long time ago. Because you got so focused on self-medicating and making yourself feel good and watching other people fall and gaining your strength and your self-worth out of other people's failures that it's, it's wrong. I mean, it's a poor spirit. It's this idea of uh, reciprocity. It, it's you reap what you sow. And, and think about your relationships and when we judge. There are people that just feed in negativity into their relationships, into the people around them. I call them pukers. They puke their junk on everyone around them. There's no filter. There's a, a lack of self-awareness. And when you leave an interaction with this person, you feel beat down because they have just sown all kinds of negativity into your life. And honestly, the idea of reciprocity is that's what's going to keep coming back to them. I mean, if I go around just talking about how how terrible everything is, people are going to want to, not even going to want to have anything to do with me, but then that's all I'm going to focus on. That's all I'm going to feed on. And we can break this cycle by pouring in and feeding in positivity. Life. The narrow road leads to life. See, we're sitting here because maybe, maybe we haven't submitted our entire life into Christ, but you are on this journey. You're on this path and it's starting to funnel down into this narrow gate that leads to life and a relationship with Christ and, and Jesus is saying, I, you need to invest in what's around you. Invest life, because that's what's going to be reaped. When you sow life, you will reap life. When you sow negativity and just a foul attitude and, and, and puke on everyone around you, like anytime somebody will listen, you just spew. They do not... you got to have a filter. Let me just... We'll say that. You need to filter that. Let's go on. Verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is where Jesus starts to narrow the relationships even more because now we start to get into some dirty interaction. Now I've got to, I've got to communicate with people and, and Jesus is putting us in relationships because Jesus desires to redeem people. And the only way we get redemption is through a relationship with Christ and he's choosing to use us 
to build those relationships. So now I've got to interact with people. I can't just stand on the sidelines and, and be a, a hypocrite and be a judge and make myself feel better. I now interact. And interaction leads to a relationship. Relationship will lead to conflict inevitably. If you are married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't even have to be married to understand how conflict just pops up. So you have relationship, which leads to conflict, but conflict should lead to resolution or redemption. And what happens is I have to interact with people in a redemptive way. I have relationships with people that should lead to redemption. And I have to understand where we really fit into what's going on. Because we can be a hypocrite and point out everyone else's problems. I mean, even standing on the sidelines, now we get into relationships and it's easier to point out problems because now I know a little bit more dirt about you. And so I can just dismiss the plank in my eye and say, oh man, you should see the speck. I feel so much better about my plank. Even if I'm going to realize I got a plank, I'll still feel better about my plank because you've got a speck. And, and this, it's this intuitive human response. When we get into conflict, there's, there's a natural response that comes out of us. It means that's the way we're born. There's a, a sinful nature that exists when we're born. And this intuitive response means that I'm going to focus on the other person's offense. I'm going to get so hung up. And when I get into conflict, it's almost like I deflect. I refuse to see anything about me because intuitively and the way we're designed as humans is to automatically go on the defense and focus on your weakness. Because if I know your weakness, I know the quickest way to take you down. Because that's how we think the conflict ends. When I destroy you or defeat you, I have no more conflict. So I've got to attack you at your weakest and most vulnerable point, the lowest spot in the wall, and that's what we focus on. That, that's, that's our human nature. The other thing is when we start to move into resolution, we make the other person's confession or admission of guilt the condition for reconciliation. In other words, forget about anything on my plate. You've got this issue, and I have pushed you so hard that now you say, okay, I messed up. I screwed up. I'm sorry. I, I'll, I'll change. I'll, I'll change how I live. I'll change how I think. I'll change how I act. And then that becomes our condition for reconciliation. And Jesus is saying this is very hypocritical. You're putting on a show because you're trying to project your plank into their eye. And when we've been transformed by grace, then what happens is there's a spirit nature that takes over and trumps, should trump, our human nature. And so we have a counterintuitive response, or I'll call it a kingdom response. And that means that I will uh, focus on my part of the conflict. If you come to me, or, or some of you have come to me, and have been dealing with conflict in your life, in your marriage, in your home, one thing you're going to hear me say is you are accountable for you. You focus on what you can handle and what you can control and you can change in this situation. Because in conflict, even in my marriage, I cannot control how Heather's going to respond. I cannot control how she's going to react. But I can control me. And I can be accountable for what I do and what I say 
and how I say it and how I do it. And so this counterintuitive response to the world and to conflict and to, to leading to redemption is to look internally. Put the mirror up. Have some self-awareness here. And the other counterintuitive is to admit when you're wrong and ask for forgiveness. And how many times have you been in conflict and you step back and say, you know what, you're right. I'm sorry. It's my fault. And then you ask for that forgiveness. What happens is, is you allow reconciliation to become something that becomes a reality. This hypocrisy bothers me, honestly. I, I watched a video this week, and it was a street interview. And the question was asked, what do you think of Jesus? And the responses were varied. It was, you know, he's a great teacher. Love, I think of love. You know, some people said Savior. Some people said the Christ. And then the question was asked, what do you think about Christians? And honestly, several people said, I don't want to answer that. You would have to edit too much on this video. How have we created this disconnect? How, as a people, the label Christian in the first century came because these people followed Jesus so closely that they mirrored him. They looked like him. They acted like him. And it was actually a derogatory term, like you're a Christian. You look too much like this guy, Jesus, that we thought we got rid of. And in our society today, we've gotten to a point that that has become a derogatory term because we've created the stigma. Because we choose to walk around and be judgmental. Because we, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lumping we here because society is going to lump we. And I, I'm not standing up here saying, well, this is a good thing because God said society and the world is going to hate you. Let's be, let's be persecuted and not liked because we're doing the things God wants us to do. Not because we're arrogant jerks walking around in society. And to think we've got something that's better than everyone else. It comes down to, to really our, our, our depravity. And it goes into what Jesus says next. And we've got to deal with our own sin first. That's going to help our conflict. Let's deal with the plank. Let's be honest about our sin. I have sin in my life. And I've got to deal with my sin first. And when we start to move this attitude, we start to walk in humility. And then Jesus goes in to the pigs and the pearls in verse 6. He says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. In churches, we've taken this verse to, to really insulate ourselves and say, well, this person, they really don't understand the things of God, so I'm going to be careful about what I share with them. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give them the full sacred things. The pearls in this context, those are the holy promises of God's word, the, 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 the jewels that come from the truth of God's scripture. And we'll, we'll tend to, as a church or as a Christian or as someone who, who claims to know Christ, we'll say, I'm going to be careful what I throw out to someone else because they'll trample them. And I think we've missed the point. Let me give you the profile of a pig 
as Jesus is explaining here. A pig is someone who uses humility and vulnerability to exploit other people. You see, a pig or a dog in, in this, this time, and to a Jew, was detestable. Because a pig and a dog were unclean. They were vicious, they were dirty, they were filthy. And this is where Jesus says, in our relationships, your hands are going to get really dirty because now you're not just interacting, now there's vulnerability. And if you've ever had your vulnerability abused in a relationship, you understand the hurt that this creates. And I think what Jesus is saying to his audience is I'm not giving you permission to be haughty and to be so great that you choose who you put your pearls in front of. I think it's just the opposite. I think Jesus is calling us to say, who are you? Are you a pig or a dog? Have you used someone's vulnerability to exploit them? And this happens, sadly, this happens in church times, in church circles, because we get in, in a group, and, and I will tell you, I'm going to fight and protect the safety of our church and our group. That when we have times where we are vulnerable with each other, we have to protect that. And I, if you want to see Matt get, get on his, 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 his mean streak, then abuse that. And it won't be a fun conversation. Because I am called, God has asked me to lead a community of people that look like Jesus, that changes the world, and that I have to, the responsibilities on my shoulders to protect the safety and vulnerability of our community. And I will do that. And if someone's going to exploit that, then they, they, it's not going to be fun. I don't get mean and mad, but that, that will fire me up. And what Jesus is saying here is, do you abuse someone's vulnerability? When, when you let the guard down and someone in, and then they take that and turn on you, or in churches, what really gets me going is they just talk to someone else and go, you know, pray for Matt. I was talking for him, to him the other day, and I can't go into any details, but just, just pray for him. He's going through a lot of heavy stuff. You know what? If that's how you're going to pray for me, don't pray for me. Let's be honest with each other. Let's deal with our sin, but let's protect each other. Let's not be pigs. Because what Jesus is saying here is if, if you're the one exploiting people, then you have taken the pearls and the treasures of Scripture and you have trampled them and you have now turned on each other and you have turned on God. And we begin to abuse God to get what we want. The, the problem here is this, is we have never been transformed by grace. These pigs that Jesus talks about are people that claim to have the faith, but do not live it. In other words, outwardly, we can gather and say, I know Jesus, I have a relationship with him, I've submitted my life to him, I want to serve him and please him and love him and give him everything I've got, but inside, there's nothing going on. It's lip service to a king. And if we have not experienced a transformation by grace, then we have no way of living relationally the way Jesus designed us to live. The only way we can have these relationships is through a transformation by grace. And that happens through Jesus. Here's how Jesus says to get it in verse 7. 
Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you and to those who ask him? So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law of the prophets. Here's what Jesus is saying. The only way to have a healthy, deep, rich, life-giving relationship is to have a dependent relationship with God. The only way that I can extend grace, the only way that I can have redemption in my relationships is to first be redeemed myself, is, is to allow God to so transform my heart, my life, and my mind that it changes even how I look at the people around me. And Jesus is saying, this is what you ask for. This is where context becomes very important because it's not just, well, what Jesus said to ask, you can knock for whatever one. Man, God, if I ask for bread, he's not going to give me a stone. If I ask for fish, he's not going to give me a snake. So God, I, I, want, I want a Mercedes. I want a lakefront home with a 27-foot boat. There's the fish and the bread right there, baby. And God's going to say, context. Seek the transformation. See, and remember what Jesus was talking about last week? He is our provider. I told you, you may not eat the, sna- uh, the steak. Don't eat the snake. That's nasty. <laughs> we don't even touch snakes around here, okay? Don't eat the, you may not eat the steak, but he will give you the manna. You may not have everything you want, but you'll have what you need. And God says, I am your source. I am your provider. I am the creator of these healthy relationships, and I can provide these to you as well. I give you the gift of friendship of the people around you. Ask, seek, and knock for redemption, for me to be your source and supply and sustenance in life and relationships. And then he goes into this. He says, do to others, in verse 12, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law of the prophets. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It's an upward relationship and an outward relationship. Every major religion has a saying along these lines about doing to others the way you want to be treated. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Christianity, Judaism. Every major religion has this. Why? Because inherently we desire to be treated with love and respect and we desire to be honored. And even religions that miss Jesus understand this truth. And so that we live with this golden rule and, and, and Jesus is clear. He says in everything, everything, and also to everyone. Don't pick and choose who you're going to be kind to and who you're just going to kind of give the cold shoulder. This isn't everything. And the only way to do this is with humility 
and transformation. I have to humble myself before the throne of grace to say, God, it's only through your grace and your love that I can have relationships that lead to life. Transform me, so transform me, that when people interact with me, they've interacted with God. Move through me to touch and change the world. You see, Jesus models this. He died for us. He gave it all. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And he asks us to do the same. When he says, if anyone will follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The Apostle Paul writes a lot about this sin nature, this intuitive response to the things around us, and this counterintuitive response. And there's two natures at war, and what Paul says is, I have to die to myself. He's going back to the principle of Jesus that says, you've got to lay yourself down. You've got to lay your pride aside and operate with humility. You've got to lay your ego aside when you've been hurt or even when you have the upper hand and operate with courage and humility and honesty and respect in our relationships. And the only way to do that is to narrow it down and say, it's got to be with Jesus. Jesus is the only way that I can have this type of relationship with the people around me. It's this idea of me too. God will put us in connection with each other, in relationships with each other, so that we help each other. And there's redemption that happens. The two very comforting words that we can say in our relationships are me too. You're hurting? Me too. You're going through something very difficult? Me too. But we're going to do this together because God has put us together so that there can be redemption. You're dealing with sin instead of I knew it. It's me too. It's operating with humility that comes through that that grace and love of Jesus Christ. So your challenge this week is I want you to spend some time evaluating your relationships. Those that are closest to you, your spouse, your kids, your co-workers, your neighbors, your even your, your closest friends. Spend some time evaluating those relationships, not in a narrow-minded way, but in a narrow pathway to say, have I been transformed so that I can bring redemption into these relationships? Are there relationships that you're missing out on because we've chosen to sit on the sidelines and judge or we get so focused on their speck or we think that they're the pig and we're withholding the pearls? This is going to require some self-awareness on your part. And I'm challenging you to spend some time evaluating and reflecting on those relationships. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you created us first for a relationship with you. And Father, I know that that 
sometimes we uh, desire a relationship with you, but we don't live it. God, that, that we desire transformation in our life, but we're unwilling to experience it. God, we desire to live in the truth of the promises of your scripture. But we we refuse to lay ourselves down and humble ourselves to receive it. Father, forgive us of our arrogance, of thinking that you should give us everything we want. Father, forgive us for uh, really not living the transformation that you died for us to have. Father, I don't know where where everyone is on their spiritual journey with you this morning, but there may be someone here, Father, that that you spoke to this morning through, through your word through your desire for healthy relationships. And Father, I ask that you give them the courage as they may be feeling that that desire for such a transformation in their life, in their heart, in their mind, even their body. And Father, it's, it's through faith that we receive your relationship and it's only by faith that you give us to then give you in return and so I ask that that as you call hearts this morning as you draw people unto you that that they would have the courage just to say Jesus I, I just I need you my relationships are nowhere near a redemption relationship Jesus, I don't fully understand everything about faith, but but I feel this faith welling up in me. And I'm asking you to first forgive me and deal with my sin. Jesus, help me pull the plank out of my own eye. Help me to get involved with human interaction and relationships. Help me to first have a centered relationship on you. And God, for those of us that that are in a relationship with you, but we just do not allow that to reflect to the relationships around us, forgive us. Help us to, to live in such a way and reflect you in such a way that even maybe just to our own families and the people around us, we begin to change that stigma about people who follow you. That Jesus, you are the the bridegroom and we are the bride and and the bride has, has projected a bad image on our marriage. Forgive us when we get selfish and egotistical. And God, you have chosen through us to bring life and redemption and hope and love and peace to the people that we interact with every day. 
Help us to be so full of love and peace and grace and redemption. That the narrow path leads to life, not just in our life, but in those that we are in relationships with. Father, we love you, and Holy Spirit, we love you, and we know that it's only through your power that we can love with the capacity and we can engage in relationships with the capacity to allow Jesus to be clear. And we ask that you fill us today, fill us every moment of this week, just as we inhale oxygen, let your spirit so fill us that change is a natural response in our own life, in our relationships. We love you. We thank you so much for this time together this morning. We praise you and we humble ourselves before you. We thank you that you opened the way to relationship with us on the cross. In Jesus' name.